Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, provided by Living Stream Ministry and featuring the ministry of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. Witness Lee served the Lord faithfully for more than 70 years, culminating with his exhaustive commentary on the entire scriptures called Life Study of the Bible. We're happy to bring you recorded excerpts from his ministry. At the end of the program, we'll give you the website where you can find out more about the remarkable ministry of these two men. But for now, we hope you enjoy today's program. We're all familiar with commandments and ordinances. It seems everywhere we turn, we're met by these rules and regulations. The same is true in the latter part of the book of Exodus, where we find many ordinances and commandments. But have you ever seen the sweetness of these commandments of God? And joining us again today for another journey into the book of Exodus is Ron Kangas. Ron, welcome back to our program once again. I'm glad to be back, and I appreciate your word about preparation that the genuine ministry of the New Testament is not a miraculous thing produced in a short period of time. It requires much preparation involving the cross and the spirit in the context of the proper body life. And this comes to mind because the central human figure in Exodus is Moses, and we realize how extensive was the time given to his preparation. And so, This word preparation is rich in spiritual significance. And so I'm very happy to enter into a kind of fellowship that releases something that is backed by decades of spiritual preparation and a lifetime of studying the Bible, seeking the Lord, experiencing Christ, and living the Christian life in the church life. So I'm very happy to be here again, fellowshipping with you in Exodus. Well, our message today, Ron, I think is going to be a spiritual treat for many of our listeners. We're going to gain an entrance today into the sweetness that's evident in the ordinances that were added to the commandments. Now, that may sound a little strange to combine those words sweetness with ordinances and commandments, but I do want to encourage our listeners to stay tuned for this today. It's going to be very special. Early in this series of messages, Ron, covering the giving of the commandments, we saw very clearly that the law is just a portrait of the one who gives or makes the law. And now we're seeing the details of the commandments that are being unveiled in these ordinances that were added. And this is giving us even a finer picture of the one who's behind these laws, isn't it? Yes, this is the crucial point. And to remind our listeners or to orient any new listeners, the crucial point with the giving of the law is that It's a revelation of the lawgiver. And this principle applies to a country, it applies to a family, or to an individual. The kind of laws a country makes or an individual makes are an expression, a revelation of that person. So outwardly, we're talking about ordinances that supplement the law and add details to the commandments Yet we use the word sweetness in referring to it. Generally, when we consider ordinances, we don't associate them with sweetness. Maybe justice, but not sweetness. But sweetness is uh, the right word to use because the spirit 
that's in the word here and the Lord's being as revealed in this portion of the word are very sweet. So the person portrayed in all these ordinances, our wonderful God, is holy and righteous. He is also very gracious and very sweet. Furthermore, he's kind and his concern for humankind. If we can exercise to touch the spirit of the word, both in the book of Exodus and in this exposition of Exodus, we will be in for a treat and even more a blessing. Well, your reference here to touching the Spirit, that's going to be the real theme, the real key to entering into all of this sweetness and enjoyment that we're talking about. Let's do that as we listen to Witness Lee in this first portion. This portion of the Word from Exodus 21, 7 through 23, 19, all the time bothered the Bible readers. When you get into the depth, when you get to touch the spirit of all these ordinances, you will have a sweet taste. I don't think any law of any country on this earth through the history has ever had such a sweet spirit. At the beginning of this section of ordinances, that means the first six verses of chapter 21, you have the ordinance concerning a slave. Seemingly, to our human mentality, it's altogether not logical. The spirit is so sweet. I love my master and my wife and my children. I don't like to go out free. In chapter 23, verses 4 and 5, it says what? When you see your enemy's cattle is lost, whether an ox or an ass, donkey, you have to bring that donkey to your enemy. Firstly, I said, who can do this? Suppose you hate me, and I know you hate me. You are my enemy. And I know that ox belongs to you. And that is lost. I will say, praise the Lord. <laughs> this Lord doing to exercise his judgment to vindicate me. Praise the Lord. But God says, you bring the lost donkey to the one who hates you. Now I'm doing it. And I bring to you, would you not be shot to death? It's so sweet. Not only so, the next point is sweeter than this. When you see the one who hates you, his donkey is under a heavy burden. You have to drop your burden to leave your business and you come to him and help him to pick up with the burden and release your haters donkey. Here, in these two instances, if I would bring my enemy's last cattle to my enemy, and if I would help my hater to release his donkey by moving away the heavy burden, this is sweeter. Could you imagine 
that there had ever been a canal made by any nation that had this kind of sweet spirit. You think about it. You have to realize this book of God's law was not written by doctoral degree. It was written by the wise God. Ron, if we approach this section of the word in an outward or a typical Bible study fashion, let's say, it'd be very easy to get sidetracked into a discussion regarding, oh, slavery in the Bible. But in doing so, we'd be missing something of much greater value and benefit. Comment on Witness Lee's last phrase here, that this book of God's law was not written by one with a doctoral degree, but was written by the wise God. Let's underscore the obvious. This is God speaking. All of these verses have their source in God. When we approach them through our reading and study, we shouldn't approach them as kind of academic treatise or simply a legal document. If we do that, we'll miss the crucial elements and we'll miss the spirit. We appreciate a high education, but these ordinances were not composed by a PhD with his or her style of writing. This is the product of a wise God. This expression, wise God, should give us pause. And it should cause us to be reminded that to say the least, God's thoughts are much higher than ours and his ways much higher. Isaiah 55 speaks of this. God's thoughts are deep. God's consideration can be amazing. So what we have here has its source in the wise God who is very detailed, very considerate, kind, just, loving, sweet, gracious. And we need to be conscious that this is the word of the wise God. Well, let's go back. We have another very, very sweet, tender portion ahead. Here's Witness Lee. These three chapters are details to the Ten Commandments. From 21 verse 7 to 23 verse 19 are the sundry ordinances of the law. Concerning man's relationship one with another, firstly, to the sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not kill. You see all these verses. Well, I'd like to read to you to show you what is the sweetness. Here, 21 verse 12, it says, He that smiteth a man so that he die shall be surely put to death. Verse 13 says, And if a man lie not in wait, but God deliver him into his hand. It's very sweet. Then I will appoint thee a place where he shall flee. That means what? That means a man killed by you by mistake. You didn't have any intention to kill him, but just by accident, by your error, you kill a man. Here, the word of God says, 
If that is the case, that killed man must be one delivered to you by God. This is sweet. You didn't intend to kill him, but he got killed. Why? Because God's hand is there. So God would not put the blame upon you. Rather, God set up a city. You better read number 35, which is called the city of refuge. Suppose you kill a man by mistake, you better run into the city. Then you got the safeguard. This is the divine law. You all have to realize things like this always implies some spiritual significance. The seat of refuge always typified Christ. Christ is our seat of refuge. Christ in humanity, in his manhood, as a man, he became our refuge. It is so good, whatever you did, in God's eyes, there was a mistake. Everything was committed, God considered there was a mistake. So you have the full right to flee away into Christ, into that city of refuge. Ron, it does seem that we are coming to the spiritual significance of these very sweet ordinances. In the example given here of the city of refuge, much of the time it seems that everything that we do in God's eyes is a mistake or an error. Yet in his mercy, he has provided a hiding place, a place of refuge even for us. This is wonderful. How do we experience taking Christ as our place of refuge? Let's trace this in a few steps. According to the typology, someone who committed a particular kind of crime was allowed to flee from the avenger into one of the refuge cities scattered throughout Israel. And then there was a place of refuge and a proper way to handle the case. And these refuge cities, like so many things in Exodus, are a type of Christ as our refuge. When we sin and are conscious of our sin, we are in a very dangerous situation. Number one, we are under the righteous judgment of God. God is righteous and holy. He hates sin and condemns it. And we are also subject to the accusation and attack of the enemy who is out to destroy us. So if we realize the seriousness of our sin, of our failure, and if we realize the danger of our situation, we will then go on to recognize we need refuge. And that place is Christ. And we enter into him by believing into him. The Gospel of John in particular, rightly translated, talks about believing into Christ, believing into the Son. And so when we are convicted of our sin and realize we're under God's judgment and perhaps also under the attack of the enemy, we enter into this refuge through God's mercy simply by believing into Christ. Then once we are in Christ, he's the realm, the shelter, the hiding place in which we dwell. God approves us. Satan cannot touch us. We are in Christ, according to 1 Corinthians 1.30, 
of him that is of God the Father, you are in Christ Jesus. Now we are in a wonderful sphere of peace typified by the refuge city. So let's go there and let's stay here enjoying all that Christ is to us in the city of refuge. You know, Ron, after so many of these wonderful messages from Exodus, I can't imagine coming back to this book now and just treating it as a historical unveiling of a lot of different events and trying to study it in a very superficial manner. These pictures of Christ are so pertinent, so relevant, and draw us into such an intimate, rich experience of God. That would be such a tragedy in the exchange. Well, this is our burden to have a life study. But as a reminder, you know, we don't minimize other dimensions of Bible study. But all this, in our view, must be for the central purpose of the Scriptures, to testify of Christ and to convey Christ to us for our experience and enjoyment. Well, we have one more section. I'm looking forward to this one particularly. Let's go back to Witness Lee. Man's life is a treasure in the eyes of God for the fulfillment of God's eternal purpose. Nothing in this universe is so valuable and so precious as human life to God. So first of all, God requires man to preserve human life in every way, as much as possible. Then to honor parents. Parents represent God as the source of human life. And to keep marriage pure, human life is precious to God. Parents are the sources of the human life. Marriage is the continuation and propagation of human life. Then, and be just, fair, honest, faithful, worthy, kind. All these virtues are implied in all these ordinances. Isn't this sweet? You do all these just for one purpose, to be a holy man before God. You preserve human life, you honor parents, you keep marriage pure, you are just, fair, honest, faithful, worthy, kind, and caring for others, not greedy to gain, but willing to give. You do all these things, and you'll be all these, all these virtues are for you. To be holy man unto God, you have to submit yourself to him and to his deputy authority. And you have to serve him through the offerings, I mean through Christ. Then this ultimate issue that you may feast with God regularly. Amen. Three times a year. This means we are feasting unto God. We are feasting with God by enjoying Christ. Christ is our eleven bread. Christ is our harvest. Christ is our gathering in. Eventually, the ultimate type of these three chapters and ordinances ends up in the full enjoyment of Christ. We just feast Christ before God and with God, by having Christ enjoyed by us as the eleven bread, Amen. and by enjoying Christ as our harvest. Amen. 
and by enjoying Christ as our gathering in. Day after day, we live a life of unleavened bread. Even Paul says clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, now we are keeping this feast of unleavened bread, which is Christ to be our life and our daily living. Then we grow something of Christ, and then we will harvest something of Christ, and Christ will be our reaping, our harvest. And eventually, we have something to store up, to gathering in. That is also Christ. The most significant thing is that even in the ordinances, Christ is fully typified. Christ is fully typified by implication. These ordinances do have a lot of implications, and all the implications are types of Christ. So eventually, by keeping these ordinances, we just become people so holy unto God, enjoying God's Christ. Eventually, we face Him with God. We enjoy Christ before God and with God. And this is the real significance of all these ordinances. Ron, I really liked how this section began and also how it ended. It began with a summary showing that all of these ordinances are aimed at preserving human life for the fulfillment of God's purpose. And it ended with our feasting on the unleavened bread, which is just Christ. These two are not really as unrelated as they might seem to be, are they? In the sight of God, they're closely related. God created humankind for himself, for his purpose, to have a corporate expression of himself in and through Christ with the believers as the enlargement and expansion of Christ. We are, admittedly, living in a fallen situation. It's crucial that we be preserved. And in the Lord's mercy, we have been preserved. We should thank the Lord for his preservation of us, even in our human life, so that we did not end it as unsaved persons. That God cares for human life and preserves human life and treasures human life not simply because he's a compassionate, caring, loving God, but he preserves human life for his economy, for his purpose. In this portion of the word, toward the beginning, we have ordinances that are aimed at preserving human life. But this portion ends with our feasting on Christ as the unleavened bread, that is, as the sinless life we have through regeneration. So we begin with God's preservation, and then we end with feasting on Christ. Feasting, by definition, is a corporate activity. Have you ever feasted by yourself? We may have a meal alone to keep us going, but a feast is something that's corporate, And it's also enjoyable. So in this matter of feasting, we have something that makes God supremely happy. And that is 
a time of enjoying Christ with God and before God in a corporate way, in oneness with the people of God. Then what is the issue of this feast? It's what God intended from the beginning, the corporate expression of himself. So we should begin, as this portion does, with preservation. But we need to see the goal or the purpose or the aim of this preservation. As always, it's God's purpose, God's economy, the desire of God's heart. So maybe I could conclude this line of fellowship this way by suggesting that we all offer fresh thanksgiving to the Lord for his preservation and for his bringing us into the experience and enjoyment of Christ personally and corporately in and for his economy. Well, I would gladly amen that Thanksgiving, Ron. Thank you for your fellowship today. This has been a real pleasure and, as always, a real enjoyment in God's Word. Today, for Ron Kangas, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee. These programs are based on messages Witness Lee gave when he did a comprehensive book-by-book study of the Bible, showing how Christ is life to man. Whether you're hearing these life studies via radio, online, or as a podcast, we hope you'll visit our website, lifestudy.com. There, you'll find more than 1,700 audio studies covering every book of the Bible. Again, That's lifestudy.com. Thanks again for listening.